I'm not going to be uh, with you next Sunday. I'm going to be on vacation. But uh, Pastor Heller is going to be speaking in the uh, morning. And Pastor uh, Clyde Bumgarner is going to be speaking in the evening. And the following Sunday, uh, Pastor Brandt will be speaking morning and evening. Good to see such a fine group out tonight. Thank you for coming back and being a part of our evening service. As we left off last week, we were with Moses at the burning bush. And uh, tonight we continue looking at the dialogue that uh, took place between Moses and God. And in particular, looking at the signs that God provided for Moses. I have here that signs serve two basic purposes. First... A sign authenticates a message as coming from God. How do you know a person speaks for God? Well, uh, sometimes God provided his prophets with a sign that they could perform. And secondly, a sign illustrates a basic truth of the message that comes from God. So in other words, that that sign doesn't come just out of midair. It isn't that it's just a miracle for a miracle's sake. But it's a miracle that also accompanies certain truth. So you think about the signs that the Lord Jesus did. Uh, They are accompanied with spiritual lessons. So, for example, when Jesus teaches that he is the light of the world, he heals a blind man, a man who cannot see. And he's able to give light, thus he's the light of the world. When Jesus teaches that he's the bread of life, he feeds the multitude, showing that that life is sufficient, that he is sufficient for a multitude of individuals. So a a sign authenticates a message, and it also illustrates a message in some way. So tonight we want to look at the three signs that God gives to Moses. First is the sign of the rod becoming a snake, Exodus 4, 1 through 5. Then Moses answered and said, this is to the charge that he was to go and to deliver the children of Israel. Then Moses answered and said, what if they will not believe me or listen to what I say? For they may say, the Lord has not appeared to you. And the Lord said to him, what is in your hand? And he said, a staff. Then he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from it. But the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand and grasp it by its tail. So he stretched, excuse me, so he stretched out his hand and caught it and it became a staff in his hand that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. So first the gift of the sign came as a response to Moses' concern 
that the people would not believe that God had sent him. Uh, what if they will not believe me or listen to what I say? For they may say, the Lord has not appeared to you. Thus, what do I have to authenticate my message? The rod becoming the snake would be that authentication. It would be that instrument that would be used of God to bring about faith in his people. But B, what basic truth was revealed in the rod becoming a snake? What was Moses to learn from this sign that God would do? Well, I believe a few things. First, he was to learn that if God could use an inanimate object, then God certainly could use Moses. The Lord said, what is in your hand? And he said, a staff. Now, it doesn't seem like a staff would be very valuable to God. And yet, God can take that staff and use it in a mighty and powerful way. And that's the lesson for Moses. As he says, who am I that I should go? Well, if God can use a staff, he certainly can use Moses. Secondly, he was learned obedience. In order to see God's power displayed, we must be obedient. The Lord said to him, what is in your hand? He said, a staff. He said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground. Now, that may seem like a small thing, and it is a small thing, but it is obedience. If he wouldn't have thrown it on the ground, it wouldn't have become a snake. It was God's purpose to teach Moses a very important lesson. And that is, you obey God, and then you see God at work. But you don't see God at work without obeying him, without doing what he tells you to do. And so here is Moses. He's obedient to God, and he sees God work. And the lesson is to be extrapolated from that is, Moses, if you want to see me work, well, you're going to have to go to the land of, of Egypt and lead forth my people. But if you're obedient, you're going to see my power displayed. If you're not obedient, you're not going to see anything. Third, he was to learn that God could make out of anything or anyone whatsoever he desired. Then he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and became a serpent. Now, there's nothing corollary between a rod and a serpent. He takes this rod and turns it into something that it wasn't, a snake. He transforms it. And that's what God does with individuals. He transforms individuals. He transforms our hearts, our lives. He transforms Moses. Moses is going to be a different person than what he was before. Uh, we think of the book of Romans, chapter 12. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And as many of you know, the word that's used in uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, to be transformed, is literally to go through a metamorphosis. It's just like a uh, caterpillar becoming a butterfly, a complete metamorphosis, a complete change. The Bible uses many imageries to talk about the change that takes place in our lives. To be born again, to like start over, uh, to be born afresh, to be, to be born new, to be a new creation, to be created anew. But all of this to display what wonderful transforming power is at work. Next, 
Moses learned about the need to overcome his fear. Then he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and became a serpent. And Moses fled from it. When he, when he threw it on the ground, whoa! You know, this thing become, the rod becomes a snake and he flees. And I don't know what kind of snake it became. I don't know if it was a poisonous snake or not. Uh, I don't know what it was, but it was enough to instill fear into Moses. Although I think you, any kind of snake you would have turned into would be pretty awesome and uh, cause you to fear. But, but he actually ran from it. And then five, Moses was learned to overcome his fears by putting his faith in God. But the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand and grasp it by its tail. So here you have a picture. Moses throws the rod on the ground. It becomes a snake. He jumps back. Whoa. Gets wants to get away from this slithering serpent. And God says, go over and pick it up. But not just pick it up, but pick it up by its tail. If you know anything at all about snakes, you know you don't want to pick it up by its tail. Uh, if you pick up a snake, you want to pick it up right behind its head so that it doesn't swivel around and bite you. I can remember when I was a kid, we had a boys' brigade at the Blandon Church. And one of the leaders in boys' brigade was a biology teacher. And he was putting on a uh, demonstration for each one of the groups. And we had six groups. And uh, he brought in a snake in order to teach a lesson. And the snake started out in this little cage that he had for him. And then uh, he took it out of the, of the cage. But he didn't take it out of the cage. He had me take it out of the cage. And it wasn't a poisonous snake. Uh, I don't remember what kind of snake it was. Probably a garden snake. I don't know. It was rather long. But, you know, this thing could bite. I mean, it was a nasty little thing. I mean, I didn't die from it. But it would clamp down on my finger. And so, I got to do this six times, you know. And, and each time, I'm, I, I, you know, he tells me, grab it behind its head. Well, easier said than done. Grab this thing by its head. It's slithering around in there. And I kept missing. And it would turn around and it would bite me. And by the end of the night, my finger was actually bleeding from all the, the bites from this snake. Uh, Moses was told, pick this snake up by the tail. A, a snake that he's afraid of. And Moses is obedient. Moses does what God tells him to do. He reaches out his hand and it becomes a snake. Uh, uh, excuse me. <laughs> so he stretched out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. Now notice, God doesn't tell him what's going to happen. He just asks him to be obedient. He doesn't say, stretch out your hand, it's going to turn into a staff again. He just simply says, pick up the snake. Picks it up and it becomes a rod. So he learns obedience. And then lastly, Moses was to learn that even the serpent was subject to him through the power of God. But the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand and grasp it by his tail. So he stretched out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. Uh, these first two signs are very personal signs in the sense that, that Moses is intricately involved with these, these signs. Uh, it isn't just his word, but it is actually Moses' action. It's his rod that is cast down, 
and it is that snake that he picks up. He doesn't, he's not told to speak to the snake. He's told to, to pick it up. And so this becomes a very graphic and personal sign in Moses' hand. And remember that the ultimate question is, what is, what is going to be the, the impetus for these Israelites to believe that God has sent Moses? Moses says, what, what do I have to demonstrate that you have spoken to me? And the point of the lesson is, if God can make a snake out of a rod, certainly God can bring about faith in those that don't believe. That's the ultimate comfort. God is going to create in these individuals faith. And Moses needs to believe that by faith. And we need to believe that message by faith. As God has told us to go into the world and preach the gospel. And there may be occasions in which you think to yourself, how in the world am I ever going to persuade so-and-so to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? What is it that is going to be able to bring about that power? What ability do I have? To create faith in someone else. The answer is we have no ability. We have no power. But we believe that God will use his word. Faith comes by hearing hearing by the word of God. And as we speak his word, we believe that he will create faith in individuals. Secondly, there's the sign of the leprous hand. And the Lord furthermore said to him, Now put your hand into your bosom. So he put his hand into his bosom. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then he said, put your hand into your bosom again. So he put his hand into his bosom again. And when he took it out of the bosom, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Again, the sign of the leprous hand was to authenticate Moses' message. And it shall come about that if they will not believe you or heed the witness of the first sign, that they may believe the witness of the last sign. So here we learn of the persistent nature of unbelief. What basic truth did the sign of the leprous hand reveal? First, we note that this sign was a personal sign. It's demonstrated what God could do with Moses as opposed to what God could do with a rod. This was all about Moses. Secondly, we note that this sign demonstrated the tremendous power of God. Furthermore, he said to him, Now put your hand into your bosom. So he put his hand into his bosom, and we took it out. Behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Uh, there was no known cure for leprosy. But, of course, God could cure it. Then he said, Put your hand in your bosom again. So I put his hand into his bosom again, and we took it out of his bosom. Behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. And third, the sign spoke of God rendering that which is unclean clean. And the Lord furthermore said to him, Now put to your hand your bosom. So he put his hand to his bosom, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. And he said, Put your hand into your bosom again. 
So he put his hand into his bosom again, and when he took it out of his bosom, behold, it was restored like the rest of the flesh. Moses was to learn that that which was unclean, God could make clean. Again, this comes out of the impetus, out of the question, Who am I that I should go to the children of Israel? Remember that Moses had been a failure in delivering his people in the past. And he had killed that Egyptian. They didn't listen to him. They didn't want him to rule over him. You can imagine the fears that he had in going back. Uh, he tried this before and it hadn't worked. What was going to be different this time? It was going to be the grace of God. It was going to be the power of God. And God was able to remove uh, that uh, sinful act of killing that Egyptian. He was able to make Moses clean. And that was what was to render him useful. He could make him acceptable in his sight. But for the sign was given not only for Moses' benefit, but for the benefit of all the children of Israel. And it shall come about if they will not believe you or heed the witness of the first sign, they may believe the witness of the last sign. So, application. We are to trust God for the outcomes of that which he has given us to do. Third, the sign of the river Nile. The sign of the river Nile. Exodus 4, 9. But it shall be that they will not believe even these two signs or heed what you say. Then you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. And the water which you take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. Again, this sign served to authenticate Moses' message. But if they will, but if it shall be if they will not believe even these two signs or heed what you say. So, there's going to be a progression here. There are going to be some people that believe the first sign. There are going to be more people that believe after the second sign. There are going to be more people that believe after this sign. There's going to be a progression of God at work. And it teaches us that there are those that are more obstinate to God's truth and those that are more readily uh, obedient and faithful to God's truth. Uh, I, I wonder here tonight, just out of curiosity, how many people tonight believed in the Lord Jesus Christ savingly the first time you heard the gospel? Would you raise your hand? The first time you heard the gospel, you trusted the Lord. Not one. Not one person tonight. Now, there are people that do. Did, did somebody raise their hand and I didn't see it? You. Well, how high did you raise your hand? Uh, whoever knew Lisa to be shy? Okay. okay. And there's somebody else back here. Okay, two. I got two out of a crowd of about 180. So, two people trusted Lord the first time they heard the gospel. Three. Okay, it's going up. Okay, I got three. Any, any, four? So, you got it. You got it. Okay, three. I got three people out of about 180. Just out of curiosity, how many people... Less than five times. Stand up. Okay? Because I'm, I'm missing you. Stand up. Less than five times. Stand up. You can look around. It's one of the few times that we encourage you to look around. Okay, there's one. There's two. See, they come up slowly. Okay. Anybody else? Two. 
So now we're up to five people. Five times or less. How about ten times? Ten times or less. Okay, I know this is getting a little funny here, but okay. Okay, stand up. Ten times or less. We're popping up here. Okay, so we've got... Well, let's keep standing because I've got to count. It's going to take me a while. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. With five, fifteen out of 180. Ten times or less. Uh, how about more than a hundred? Anybody more than a hundred? Okay. You, you, you see... There is a progressive working of God. Some people, less times. Some people, more times. That, that should give us patience. And that should also give us reassurance. It shouldn't surprise us the first time that we share the gospel with someone they don't believe. That shouldn't surprise us at all. Nor should it hinder us from sharing the gospel with them a second time. A third time, a fourth time, a fifth time, a sixth time, a seventh time. Remember there are seven plagues, seven incredible, miraculous plagues. And even then, not everyone believes. But more and more and more people are believing. B. This sign was to be taken by faith. Moses did not experience this sign immediately. But it shall be that they will not believe even these two signs or hear what you say. Then you shall take some water from the Nile. He's not standing by the Nile. He's standing by a burning bush. He's in the wilderness. He's not in Egypt. This is a future sign. So now Moses has to exercise more faith. Because he's got to take God at his word. This time... The sign is not immediately fulfilled. It will be fulfilled in the future. But not now. So there's a progression from the immediate to the more distant future in seeing the sign fulfilled. C. This sign was directed to the children of Israel who did not believe the first two signs. But if they will not believe even these two signs or heed what you say, then you do this. Fourth, Moses did not yield to God even after this third sign. Then Moses said to the Lord, Please, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither recently nor in time past, nor since thou hast spoken to thy servant, for I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. And he's going to ask, in verse 11, uh, that, excuse me, in verse 13, please send somebody else. Uh, because I am not eloquent to speak. Uh, here was an expectation of what God was going to do. He had a vision, uh, meaning he had a, he'd conjured up in his mind uh, the kind of person that God would use and Moses didn't fit that bill. And he thought that if God was going to use him, that meant that this transformation was going to be in the way that he spoke. Uh, but that's not what it was going to be. It was going to be not in the way that he spoke, but in the effectiveness that God would bring to his words. It wasn't about Moses. 
It was about God. But even that idea where he says that uh, he was not eloquent, neither heretofore nor since you have spoken to me. Listen to the words of Acts where Stephen recounts the Old Testament. And it was at this time that Moses was born. And he was lovely in the sight of God. And he was nurtured three months in his father's house. And after he'd been exposed, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and nurtured him as her own son. And Moses was educated in all the learning of the Egyptians. And he was a man of power in words and deeds. Stephen says of Moses as a young man, he was powerful when he spoke. He was powerful when he spoke. Moses, even as a young man, before he was called of God, was powerful when he spoke. So that his assessment, even, of his own abilities don't appear to really jive with reality. Maybe he wasn't completely eloquent. But he certainly was capable of doing that which God had called him to do. And so God says this in Exodus 4, 11 and 12. The Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes him dumb or deaf? Or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now then go, and I even I will be with your mouth and teach you what you are to say. Now, we find here is this aspect of what Moses means by eloquent. It isn't that he didn't have a good sounding voice. And it wasn't that he didn't have the ability to speak, that he stammered or lisped, although it appears that Paul did stammer or lisp. But that's not Moses. Moses, when he's talking about eloquent, he's talking about like Apollos. Apollos was an eloquent speaker. There are people that just have a way with words. Uh, I love listening to people who are great speakers. And uh, I don't know what you think about President Obama, but I think that man can deliver a speech. He can turn a phrase. He can speak with, with power. I, I enjoy just listening to him speak. Uh, quite frankly, he's a better speaker than President Bush. I'm not saying he's a better president. I'm saying he's a better speaker. He speaks well. Moses had a concept that it was going to be his ability to persuade people to believe. For listen to what God says to him. Now go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you are to say. Moses' concern is, what am I going to say? And God says, I'll tell you what to say. I'll help you to know what to say. I will be with you. So application, number one. First, Moses should be long-suffering with the unbelief of the children of Israel, for he himself was slow to fully believe in the power of God. Uh, Moses first needed to learn about himself 
before he was to go to the children of Israel. He had to be patient and long-suffering. Moses refers to these people as stiff-necked on numerous occasions. A stiff-necked and unbelieving people. Well, Moses was a stiff-necked and unbelieving person. And you know, most of us have been stiff-necked, unbelieving people. All but three have heard the gospel repeatedly before we yielded, before we believed, before we trusted. Which means we should be patient towards those that are not quick to believe. Second, we're to learn that belief is held in degrees and is simply not all or nothing. I think there's a tendency to, to look at belief and unbelief as it's like, it's like yes or no or uh, off or on, uh, all or nothing. That's not what belief is. Belief isn't just, there it is. But belief grows. Grows. It increases over time. So we have Mark 9.24. When Jesus said, do you believe? Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. That is a verse I can relate to. I know deep down in my heart, I believe. But I know day by day there are areas where I have to say, Lord, help me overcome my unbelief. I believe, and yet I fail to trust. I believe, and yet I have doubts. I believe, and yet don't really expect to see God work in the way that I should. And so it is appropriate for us to acknowledge the level of unbelief that is present within us. It is humbling to acknowledge before God, God, there are times I question. There are times I doubt. Faith comes from you. Please, O oh God, increase my faith. Help me in my unbelief. The next time you struggle with doing what God would have you to do, and you know that's what I should do, but you struggle. Say to God, I believe. I trust. Help me in my unbelief. And that's what God does for Moses. He helps him in his unbelief. Concluding lessons. First, God gives us reason to believe in him. Faith has a basis. People talk about blind faith. People talk about a leap of faith as though without any rationale, without any reason, in absolute blind faith, we just step out into nothingness and trust God. Well, that's really not how it works. God provides us good reason to believe. God gives us signs, as it were. One of the great signs that God has given to mankind is the very creation that we are surrounded by. For the invisible things of Him are clearly seen by the things that are made, 
even his eternal power and Godhead, so they're without excuse. As we look around us, we know that this just didn't happen. This isn't just a matter of blind chance. As we look at this incredible creation, we look at the sunset. We look around us, there is reason to believe in a God. There's reason to believe in a God. And these signs were given not just for the children of Israel's sake, but for our sake. John chapter 20 says, Many other signs Jesus did, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. The signs were written down for us. We get to look back in hindsight. We get to look back at the miracles. We get to look back at the cross. We have more understanding than the children of Israel did in their day. These all serve as signs for us if we will just take the gospel, the, take these narratives seriously. If we sit back and ponder them and reflect about who God is and what He has done. These are actual historical events. And they teach us about God. And secondly, the great lesson is that God gives us all that we need in order to serve Him. I think of uh, our military and our soldiers that go out to battle. They are armed. They are equipped with what they need to go to battle. They're given their, their uniform. They're given their boots. They're given their weapons. They're given their uh, vehicle. Whatever it takes for them to be successful in their mission. Our government makes sure that, that our troops have what it takes. That they are fully equipped to be successful. God knows what it's going to take for us to be successful. And He will fully equip us with all that we need in order to do His work and His will. We just simply have to take that by faith. God, if this is what You want me to do, I can do it. And You can bring it to pass. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank You for Your grace and goodness. And I trust that we would learn more about You. And that You would increase our faith day by day. And Lord, I, I trust that as we look back over our lives, that we can see a progression in our lives. How we are moving more and more to faith and farther and farther away from unbelief. Lord, You who know our hearts and You who search them, we pray that You would be searching us even now. And in those areas where tonight we may be doubting Your Word or struggling to trust You for what You would have us to do tomorrow. Lord, increase our faith, we pray. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. And you are dismissed.